Welcome to the Homeschool Together podcast. Where one working mom and a stay-at-home dad help you navigate the nuts and bolts of the growing and dynamic world of homeschooling. With a focus on early learners. Like me! All the ins and outs of building and maintaining your homeschool life. Homeschool! Find out tips and tricks to make things like this easier. I'm reading! And ultimately, enjoy educating your kids. And what's that last thing? Have fun together! Did I do good, Daddy? (laughs) Yeah, you did, sweetie. Good job. Hello and welcome to Homeschool Together Podcast. Thanks for joining us again. Today we're going to be going back to our interviews and doing another Homeschool Journeys. I love these ones. We have Shannon Demeter uh, joining us today and it was a really great interview. But before Mm -hmm. we get started, if you have a chance, head down into the show notes, connect with us on social media, check out our great resource guide. And if you could, please head over to iTunes and leave us a nice little five-star review. It really helps other people to find us. Helps our podcast reach new new listeners, which is, I think, the hope for yeah, this whole thing. Certainly, we want to help as many families as we can. So we love uh, connecting with new listeners, uh, just just like Shannon. I mean, we use a yeah. you know connection through a connection uh, of someone who'd listened to the podcast, yeah. and that was really great. It was really great too. She was she was a fun a fun journey. Our journey interviews, right? Which tries to tell the story of of regular families that are going through their own path with homeschooling. And, and how many different types of flavors there are. Right. That's what I love, right? Because homeschooling is well, it, it is whatever you want to be, and it is what you make it both. Uh, and we get to see what people decide to do and what they make of that. And it's really fun. I I was really struck, you know, she has three three children that she's actively homeschooling. And the amount of preparation, mm-hmm. the, the dance that she's doing to make sure that everybody has their needs met was uh, at, at once both a little bit overwhelming because I, I thought, oh my gosh, she's she's so, I she's mean, she's super just, mom, yeah. Yeah, right. She's got this all under, how do you keep all those balls in the air? But at the same time, as we were talking about before we started recording, I was just so struck with how connected she is with mm-hmm. her children that she understands what their individual needs are to that level that she can choreograph something like that. And I think that that's one thing that I I saw a post today on social media where somebody asked veteran homeschoolers, what is your favorite thing about homeschooling? Mm-hmm. And most most of the answers had, I mean, there was a lot of you know flexibility and uh, teaching what they need and all that stuff. But I kept seeing over and over again, the one that really resonates with me most, which is connection with our, with my children. Yeah, being able to just, in just a single look, know mm-hmm. whether they're having a good day or bad day, whether they're into something or not. And I go with, yeah, I agree with you. That connection element is, is really, you know, I don't know of an, of, of something that the homeschooling gives us more than that connection. And I think a lot of parents would agree with that. And I think Shannon would, would, would agree as well, especially since she has such a busy life. I mean, Mm -hmm. not only is she homeschooling, she's running a full-time farm and, you know, raising animals. Mm -hmm. And then she has a a small side business that she does as well. So she's a very busy person. And she is able to achieve all these things, you know, homeschooling her children, you know, really getting in there, being being exciting. And I think that really came through mm-hmm. in the interview is that she is a very dynamic person and, and very inspirational for a lot of families to know that you can achieve these type of things. You can have that connection you want while also chasing other dreams and, 
and and experiencing other things. Yeah, I I thought it was great. I think one of the the most important things that we can do is is build this close knit family relationship and homeschooling. You know, we're all thrown together, so we we do that. I see that every day. It it's just lovely to see that echoed back, and and that's the whole purpose I think of these journey interviews is yeah. to show show uh you glimpses into other families where you might see a glimmer of oh that's like us or, or you, that's something or, that I want to be or I can pick up that one little piece and plug it into my my setup right. and, and improve what I'm doing right i it's that identity that's something that I always like I'm always looking for those small wins those mm-hmm. new improvements little micro efficiencies and I think you know as you guys listen to this interview today you're going to pick up a lot of those things especially how dynamic her homeschooling environment is and how quickly she has to shift between kids right you may see a few tips and tricks from her on how to handle that and how preparation and being focused in that period allows you to achieve a lot you know she does have a couple older kids like a couple you know first and second and third grade i think fourth grade maybe so they are somewhat independent you can what's really nice for us younger younger homeschoolers the kindergartners is to see that okay, these kids are going to be a little bit more... That's the light at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> a little bit more, you know, they can do self-motivation. They can go mm-hmm. off and do their math exercises. They can do these things. It doesn't require such a high touch. It really feels like this is a high touch environment right now that I mm-hmm. don't have enough time to say, hey, please go do that so I can entertain the younger kid. Right. Or when I'm going to be homeschooling the younger kid that I can tell the older one, hey, can you just go do those work pages or go read that book or do that reading? you know, do your handwriting and then I'll come back to you. With us younger parents, you know, with younger kids, we don't have that flexibility now. It is exciting to see that, to actually, I think that's come across in a few of my questions to to these moms in the homeschooling journeys is seeing that there is more autonomy in the future (laughs) coming. Oh yeah, we've got such little ones, it's difficult to see that. I think what was also interesting, you know, she's she's homeschooled for three years and you can really see in in how she manages all of the needs of her children and making sure that everything is covered and all of that. It's really, it's inspiring to me to see like, Hey, that's where we could be in yeah. another you know year and a half or two years as, as far as having that deep level of understanding and, and getting everything really dialed in. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we feel like we're kind of flying by the seat of our pants and I, it, it felt good to hear like, okay, when we settle in, this is somewhere I could be, you know, sometimes you hear from, from homeschool parents, or I've I've heard on other podcasts and I've read other blog posts, and you interview uh, a mom who has been homeschooling for fifteen years and has six children, and they're just like a rock star. And it's while I I love hearing those stories because it's like wow that's amazing and inspiring. Mm-hmm. I also have trouble connecting with that because it's too far removed from where I personally am with my yeah. family and the age of my children. Uh, and so I like seeing something that's like a little bit in the near term futures. Like yeah. I could be there. That's going to be a year, two years from now. Yeah, 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 I could, I could do that. And so I think that that's what Shannon's interview showed us, and and how she, how she juggles her her business and her farm and all her things with homeschooling and meeting her kids' needs. So all in all, it was a great interview. She was lovely to talk to, uh, and we hope you all enjoy the interview. So let's get to it. Welcome, Shannon. Thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and and your your family and your homeschooling journey. Oh, I'd be happy to. Well, I have four children in total, but three are home with me um, that I that I have the opportunity to to school from home. I have a ten year old son, an eight year old son, and a six year old daughter. So they're definitely really close in age, which makes it 
interesting and exciting when I'm trying to do school with all of them at the same time. We started homeschooling three years ago. So out of those three, the 10-year-old was just coming out of first grade. And during his time um, in first grade in public school, I had a few situations. They weren't terrible, but just not great experiences at the school. And it had nothing to really do with the teachers. Um, It was more about just, I think, policies and situations that weighed on me a little bit. And so in the back of my mind, I would kind of think, or in my personal experience, I felt like it was kind of this prompting that said, you need to bring your son home. And I had always been someone that could never have seen myself homeschooling. And so I would politely look over my shoulder and to say, shh, whoever's talking to me, please stop. I'm not going to homeschool my kids. You're crazy. And so that happened actually multiple times during that first grade year. And before we even finished out the first grade year, I was like, yes, I am definitely bringing him home. And, uh, and at that time, my second one, who's now eight, he was, he would have been going into kindergarten. So, so that first year that we homeschooled, I had one technically in second grade and then kindergarten. And it was, it was a really interesting experience. I probably researched for about six months, I would say what curriculum I was going to use. So um, it was a big decision. I'm not a super patient mom. And so when I brought this idea up to my husband, he, he reminded me that I'm not a super patient mom. So he said, how do you think this is going to go over? And, and I really felt strongly like we can do this. And his response was, well, you know, if, if, if they're dumber after one year, we can always send them back to public school. And here we are three years later. So it, it worked out for us so far, <laughs> so far, so good. Who, who did you do the research with? I mean, you said you did a lot of research. What was that research and, you know, what were you doing and, and searching for and what, what finally got you over that, that hurdle on what you were going to do? Yeah, it was my BFF YouTube. That's where I did a lot of research. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I started just, I started Googling homeschool and it was so overwhelming. There was so much information and I had no idea where to start. And so I started watching, I would started YouTubing homeschool curriculum because I wanted to listen to people and see people and have them show me some of this curriculum so I could see what it looked like. Um, I found that there were a lot of YouTubers that would do unboxing. So they would open up a curriculum, they would flip through it, or they would do a couple of lessons of curriculum with their children so you could see how it flowed. And that's how I spent a lot of if the evening time was that my husband would look over and go, oh, are you watching more curriculum review? <laughs> um, so he'd be watching TV and I'd be watching curriculum review on YouTube with my headphones in. So that really honestly was about six months and before I really made my final decision on what I was going to use. And, um, and I've stuck with that this whole time. What were the, you said something, it was a little bit of a personal fear regarding homeschooling. Were there any fears on your, uh, your, your oldest son? Was there any fears on his side starting homeschooling or was he open to it and excited about it? He was excited. I don't want to go into too much detail, but when he was in public school, there was a, there was an instance. It actually happened to be the day that the kids were getting out for their holiday break, Christmas break. And he ended up spending a portion of that day 
not in his classroom, but in um, mm-hmm. the the waiting area in the principal's office. And it was something that, again, I don't want to get into too much detail. Yeah, it no, wasn't okay. his fault, but it but it was his fault kind of thing. But the way it was being mm-hmm. handled was basically my son got pulled off of the bus and put into this room and we weren't contacted for a few hours. And he sat oh, there wow. by himself. Mm-hmm. He didn't experience his party that day. And it wasn't, he wasn't putting anyone in harm or anything like that. So Anyways, he didn't even want to go back to school after that. He was afraid to go back to school. And um, just because it was a, it was a hard first grader sitting in the principal's office by himself. And when we, yeah, when we arrived, he was sitting there by himself eating lunch in this, in this um, meeting room. So anyways, he didn't even really want to go back after that. So I'd had, when this started, that was kind of the last straw that really pushed me and Mm -hmm. I would have conversations with him and he was really excited. Like we would be, when I started deciding what the curriculum was and showing him what we were going to do. And um, he, he actually got really excited. He wasn't worried at all. He's also out of all of my children. He is the most social. He's the easiest going. And he, even after leaving public school, he still keeps in contact with some of those friends that he only knew for two years. And so it, it was not this huge change. And I've even asked my kids, you know, pre-COVID, <laughs> would you want to go back to school? And he was like, no, I do not. Was there any process of, um, there's a term that a lot of people use is like de-schooling. Was there kind of a decompression time after you pulled him out? Was, did you take a little bit of, you know, relaxing period? Well, he ended up, he finished his first grade year. So we had summer, okay. like everyone else has summer. Uh, but I would say yeah. if I had it, I would have, I would definitely now knowing what I know, I would absolutely suggest that anyone that pulls their child from public school mid-year take that time because it is definitely a transition for both you and the child as far as Mm -hmm. expectations and how your days are going to go. So after all your, your research and your YouTubing, what, what curriculum and resources did you decide to go with and, and how has that worked out for you? So I use a curriculum called the good and the beautiful. And I absolutely love it. Now it is a Christian based curriculum. So for, for any of the listeners who um, prefer not to use that, there's actually a huge community of non-Christian users of, of the curriculum. And basically what they do is in the curriculum, if there's a context about anything that has to do with Christianity, they just kind of cut that out and they, they move on. Um, And the main thing with that is things like in language arts, there could be a poem and it, you know, basically talks about, you know, maybe God's creation, or it could be something um, I'm trying to think of like in the science or excuse me, the history curriculum, Mm -hmm. the very first lesson that we had was on the creation. So some people that, that don't follow Christianity, they just kind of cut that out or they adjust it, you know, based on, on their, their beliefs. But as a whole, the curriculum, the reason I chose it was talking about language arts and the strength of grammar and spelling. It is absolutely by far the strongest that I found. And that is what really is it, drew is me it to heavy? It. It- is it heavy in the trivium? Do they talk a lot about that? Or do they just stress, you know, reading, grammar, rhetoric, and all, all the other things? So I'm not familiar with the trivium, but okay. basically it, for instance, the language arts curriculum encompasses reading, spelling, phonics. It also brings in art appreciation and some geography 
just into okay. the language arts curriculum. So for, as an example, um, it starts out very basic. Like we just finished up level K with my daughter and she is already doing blending sounds. She understands the basic rules of the very difficult English language that whenever they tell you there's a rule, it's always like most of the time, but sometimes there's a rule breaker. <laughs> so, which is 85% of the time. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. But my, now my, my middle son, who's level two, has just started sentence diagramming. So very basic subject and verb. And, and then it, in level three, it will get more complex. And my other son is now in level four. So he's doing articles, um, adverbs, adjectives, really diagramming mm -hmm. out the sentence. Does it come with a math curriculum as well? Is it kind of an all-in-one thing? It's not an all-in-one. They do offer, so when the curriculum was created, they started out with language arts. And so that's really what their um, claim to fame, I guess you could say, is people know them for language arts. They have since okay. created a science curriculum, which we also use and we love. And we have, they, they break it down. So it's individual units of curriculum for science. So we've done an arthropods unit. We have, we are in mammals right mm -hmm. now. We've done, I'm trying to think we're doing, we're going to be doing human anatomy. We're going to be doing a geology unit. We are going, we did uh, public safety. So there's some really, really fun units that they have. And then they also offer history and they, they break up their history by year. So there's year one, two, three, and four. And each year spans from you know, the creation or this year we actually started with ancient Greece. And then the end of this year, we'll be talking about the Dust Bowl. So it spans an entire, you know, goes from beginning to end basically, but each year there's a different focus. So last year we started on the creation and we talked about ancient Egypt. We won't focus on ancient mm -hmm. Egypt this year because we're focusing on ancient Greece and it's designed to be yeah. uh, family centered. So they have different projects if you have older children or younger children. So everyone can be involved and you're doing it that that portion of the curriculum, science and history as a family, you know, gathered together. And then for math, they do have math curriculum. That is their newest curriculum. And so it's kind of slowly being released. So they have level K through level three right now. My older son, because he's a little beyond that, I chose a different curriculum. I've actually used a couple curriculums. I haven't found one that I loved. I literally just ordered him the second book of level three for the good and the beautiful to have as a review until they release level four, like any time now, any day now. So <laughs> I'm just holding out because I love it that much. Cool. So what, what did you decide to pull in for, for math then? So the, what I used our first year was called teaching textbooks. It was an online math. And I chose that because I thought, okay, that will give him a chance to be in front of the computer and then I can work with the others. And it did that. And he got good, quote unquote, good grades, but he wasn't retaining any information. So I could look at the lesson and he would get like a 93 or 95%, but then it would come to the quiz and he would say, I, I don't know this. I didn't learn any of this. I don't remember this. And I think it, for my children anyways, and I, and I do believe for a lot of children, they learn better with pencil and paper. And so I, after I tried it again for half of last year and decided this is not working. So then I went to another curriculum called Math Mammoth which was pencil paper, but there were some online videos to supplement and it was a little bit better, but 
the good and the beautiful, it relies heavily on manipulatives and stories to teach as well. And my younger two really thrive off of that. And I think that it will be good for my older as well. Yeah, we've been doing right start math with our uh, five-year-old. She's kind of in the kindergarten level mm-hmm. um, right now. And we it's very much a you know, tactile, lots of manipulatives. Yeah, the manipulatives are huge. Yeah, a lot, lot of handwriting. Um, there's almost no digital stuff. We do a little supplemental stuff with like Khan Academy, but that's, yeah. that's just for fun. That's just for fun and kind of enrichment. But for the math, it's, yeah, I agree with you. I have not had a lot of success with the digital products um, other than, you know, they zone out while they do it. Yes. And they just, and it's very, very playful. You're not really learning any concepts, you know, the deep concepts I found. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. The tactile stuff is a lot better. Um, maybe just to pivot a little bit. So you have three kids in the house, mm-hmm. you know, how, how does that work for you? You know, we have a lot of, we have a number of families on our Facebook group that have multiple kids. How do you manage that? How did you manage it as you, you know, you had a young, it seems like you had a younger kid um, to start like mm-hmm. a first grader, you know, maybe a newborn, it sounded like maybe, or a one-year-old. I'm very interested to know how you manage that <laughs> well, <laughs> as I have a one and a half year old right now. <laughs> well, she wasn't quite that young. So our very first okay. year I had a kindergartner, a second grader, and then my daughter was in I'm trying to think, her final year of preschool. Um, I do have to say the preschool that we used, I absolutely loved. And I feel like it gave my kids a really good foundation. And if I had to start at the beginning of this is how you hold your pencil, I don't know how well I would have fared. Because <laughs> so that really, that really helped me because I felt like they got, they got a good foundation there. So I can, I can kind of give you a sense of what our day looks like to explain how how I make it all work I guess um yeah absolutely yeah so we we usually start our day or we try to start school around nine and we start our day because we are Christian we start our day with some daily scripture study and then we also we always start our day with um doing um kind of our group subject matter we alternate science and history so I don't do both of those every day of the week Um, And then let me also say that we only do school four days a week. We don't do school five days a week. So we usually do Monday through Thursday. Friday is our fun day or our makeup day. So if I have a day, uh, for instance, tomorrow, we're supposed to have decent weather. We probably won't do school because it'll be our one day of like maybe a peak of sun to try and get some things done on our farm. So we probably won't do school tomorrow and we will just make up that day. Do you do that as a normal policy? Like I know you're here in Washington, uh-huh. Western Washington. <laughs> we're we're very familiar with the weather. Yes. Um, do you do that as a policy through the winter and then into the spring? If you you see a, a clear day, you make that as your outdoor day or your fun day. Yes. So because we live on a farm and we have a lot of pro- outdoor projects that we need to get done, and so yes, we decide like, hey, if there is a day where we're going to be able to get some things done, we're going to take advantage of that day. And we find that it's easier for our family dynamic too, because if I try and sit down school and to do school and I'm trying to rush to get it done, it seems like my my kids want to go slower. So I have to just say, we're just going to take this day. We're going to get our, you know, projects done on the farm and we're going to do school on Friday because it's going to be dumping in 40 degrees anyway. So no one wants to go outside. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so a normal day. So what is that? You start at nine o'clock, you said. Yeah. So once we get through our scripture study, we alternate science or history. So for instance, okay. today was a history day. So tomorrow, well, actually we're not going to do school tomorrow, but um, Thursday 
will be a, a science day. And then Friday will be a history day. And after that, I break them out into doing their own thing. We also do handwriting through the good and the beautiful. And I personally feel like handwriting is really important. The good and the beautiful part of their handwriting is also cursive. And so both my second and fourth grader are learning cursive. And so I have that actually also to help keep them doing something while I'm working with another. So they typically start, someone starts with handwriting while I'm working with another. And my older son, who's in fourth grade, he can get himself started on math. He's pretty good at that. So I typically have him doing math, my second grader, I'm going to have to remember all their ages, (laughs) my second grader (laughs) working on handwriting. And then I start with my first grader with her language arts. Once my second grader finishes his handwriting, he knows that he needs to go and do, he, he has 20 minutes of reading from a book of his choice or whatever book he happens to be reading. I pause with my daughter during her language arts because she has some independent work time. And I'll scoot over to my older son just to check in on his math and answer any questions that he has. While he's continuing to math, I go back to my daughter and I finish out language arts with her. And then I bring in her math. At the same time, my second grader, he's usually done with his reading. He comes in and I can do math consecutively with them because the manipulatives that the good and the beautiful uses are for level one and level two math. So I can open up the same box and I can kind of work with both of them at the same time a little bit. If I have to pause with one, they know they, they've gotten pretty good. I say pretty good. Sometimes they just go off somewhere, but most of the time they're pretty good about sitting and waiting for just a moment until I can get back to them. And then once they're both done with math, my first grader, she knows she needs to do her handwriting and reading. My second grader, I start with his language arts. My fourth grader, once he's done with his math, he can read or he can also do, I do typing with him so he can go over to typing or he's allowed to open up his language arts and he can read most of that for himself. The, the level four is geared to be mostly self-driven where we're working a little bit together, but he gets to pace himself a little bit more. So it's nice because he is now old enough that he can, he can take on more himself. I don't have to be sitting with him all the time. Um, And that's just kind of a transition this year. Last year was still very much me sitting and reading step-by-step with him. So while I go back to the second grader and I'm doing language arts with him, um, my fourth grader is either doing typing, reading, or language arts. Once I finish language arts up with him, then I go to the fourth grader and I round things out. Um, And then all of my kids are playing instruments right now. I have the boys are playing ukuleles and my daughter plays the piano. So they also have the opportunity to get up and go and do those things. So I do try and keep extra things to keep them busy so that they don't just wander and go find some sort of device and hide in a hole and try and log on to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I have to say our, our, Errol and I were looking at us. Errol and I were looking at each other. That sounds like a a, a uh, well-choreographed dance every day. But if you were here to to see it, you'd think it looked like a hot mess, probably. (laughs) Sergeant Shannon. There's a method method to that madness. That's amazing. Uh, That's great. Do do you, um, have you seen any, or have you leveraged the older kid doing a little bit of mentoring for the younger kid? Have you done any of that? 
No, he's not quite ready for that. Um, I will say, so I originally, I said I have four because I do have a son who is a junior this year in high school. And mm. he was so far into public school that, that it was just for him. He was like, are you crazy? Heck no, I would <laughs> no, I would not do that. But I'm very grateful that this year he's actually doing full-time running start at the local community sure. college. He's doing one high school class, which is DECA, which I did, which really fun. And I encouraged him to do that. He does live here part-time. And so when he's, and he lives part-time with his biological father. So when he's home, he actually is good help. He enjoys working with them. And I totally take advantage of that because mainly with like my daughter, my younger daughter and my younger son, because the older son who's 10, it's a little bit of a battle because actually my 16 year old, some of the stuff that my fourth grader is doing, he doesn't understand because some of that stuff was missed in public school. So he doesn't understand some of the, like, I keep saying sentence diagramming, but that's a big thing that he's, I have no idea what you're doing. I don't know what any of this means. And so he's really good at helping the youngers. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I'm just, no, no, I, honestly, because I, so I have a, yeah, I know we yeah, have a, yeah. we have a five-year-old and a one and a half-year-old. So my, and I'm the stay-at-home dad. I'm, I do the homeschooling. So my Mine's a little bit more chaotic. Um, okay. Do you have any? Uh, do you have any advice to bring the chaos down to some of the parents out there? I would say that three years in, I still have days where I'm feeling like we've got to get this done. You, mm -hmm. you're, and and in my own mind, I'm thinking we're getting behind. And then I have to stop and remind myself, behind who? Behind what? And so. I think that's really important, especially for new homeschooling families, is to take a step back and to understand that, that you cannot public school at home. Homeschool is not public school. We don't run the day like a public school. We don't have to set time parameters for things. And so when I can take a deep breath and say, this is just taking longer than, it, than I thought it would take. Or an example is that my daughter, she took an entire year, I'm talking last November to this November to complete her level K curriculum. And it was because she's a young, like first grader now, she has a May birthday. And there were just some things that she wasn't grasping and we needed mm -hmm. to stop. We needed to slow it way down. We needed to take breaks. There were weeks where I just read to her. I'm like, we can't even do the curriculum right now. It's not working. And mm -hmm. That's the beauty of homeschool. So to bring the chaos down, I would say when you, you just have to take a step back and say, maybe today we're not going to force this. It's not working. Or today we're in the middle of science and my kids are so excited about talking about stick bugs. Let's just keep on <laughs> stick bugs. I mean, that has been my saving grace is when my kids are really excited about something that we're working on. It's okay to spend that extra time. No one, we're not on anyone's clock. And so we just do that. When does your day end typically? You said it starts at nine. Do you end at like noon or one o'clock? What, what does that look like for you? So the goal is to end by about noon. If we can release, okay. you know, stay on track. We're usually done right around noon. And the, the day really ends when we get all of it done. Because I find that if, for me, if I allow myself to just say, well, we're done at noon, no matter how much we've completed, we, we really would get behind, I guess you could say. Like I really would have children who probably 
were one and two levels behind where they naturally should be based on just not necessarily their age or their grade or anything like that, but it would just become more that we're not doing what we need to do on a regular basis. So for me, I say, you know, we try to get done by noon, but if it's taking someone longer, then the day just goes a little bit longer. I have found that, that if we try and have lunch and come back, it's way more chaotic. They're, they're less willing to come back from lunch. And, and I actually used to do history and science in the afternoon. And I flipped that because we never got to history or science. So that's why it's at the beginning of our day, because I wanted to ensure that that was something that we were always getting to. And of course, math and language arts is a given to me anyways. And so it, it made sense. That's interesting because I've I've been I've been debating whether or not to shift some of my learning into the afternoon as my younger one is I think maybe you know very soon going to give up her morning nap and just have her afternoon nap that I may need to utilize some of that time so and I've and I've thought about you know what what that would look like so okay do you do all year round homeschooling do you do something you know all year do you do you go with the school year what what do you guys look like for that so we go with our own school year. We do not do year round again, because you and I, we all live in Washington. I am taking advantage of every bit of summer that we can get. So we have decided not to go year round. We start our school year after Labor Day and we uh, complete it before Memorial Day. That's just how I want to do it. So that's how we do it. And um we typically go kind of on average, we go for six weeks and then we take about a week break. So rather than taking big chunks at Christmas, um, I think though a lot of those are created because of you know the public school system and the way that they need to arrange a you know a break and then of course people having time off during the holiday season and that sort of thing. But for us, I'm like, we don't need two weeks off at Christmas. So we usually do school up to about Christmas time. Sometimes that ends up that we take Christmas week off, but then we go back to it and then we might take like New Year's Day off. Um, but we don't, we don't typically take the same, like we don't, if, if spring break lands when we were going to take our break then, then great. If it doesn't, it just doesn't work out. This last year, oh no, we're still in this year, 2020. In, <laughs> it's the longest year I ever. know, the longest sure. year ever. We, we just barely made it to Hawaii before everything started. And so we came back from Hawaii on the 26th of February. So when we were in Hawaii, we were watching the news and everything happening. But this spring, we were doing marine biology for science. And last year, I knew that that's what we were going to do. So I said to my husband, hey, let's go to Hawaii, you know, early in the year when we're doing marine biology. And I thought he would be like, are you crazy? But he's sure, let's go. So we planned it all out and it, and it worked out this year for us to go. And we went when it worked for us. And when we could get inexpensive plane tickets, when we could find an inexpensive mm-hmm. place to stay, that's how we worked at it. So again, because we are on our own schedule, we have a lot more flexibility for, for vacations as well. We can go during off season, which is awesome. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, yeah, that Ariel and I have been talking about that for years. Oh, we don't have to, we can go to vacation when things are cheap. Yes. <laughs> um, Someday the, when we're allowed to go on vacation. Yeah, when we're allowed mm-hmm. to. Um, so pr- prior to COVID, um, did you do any uh, outside of the house enrichment activities, sports, you know, lessons, you know, gymnastics, dance? What, what were Go you out. doing? Or, or how many? Did oh, you my gosh. Many did you, yeah. 
usually homeschoolers are incredibly busy, which surprises uh, new homeschoolers. Yeah. So like, aren't you locked in your house all the time? You're like, oh, no, oh my yeah. God, my schedule is so packed. Uh, oh my gosh, my kids are such hermits. No, they're absolutely not. Like they're so socially weird. No, they're not. So my son, who's now 10, this this last spring, spring of 2020, would have been his fifth season playing local lacrosse. Um, my second grader would have been his third season. Sorry, no, his second season. And then my daughter's first season. So they, so we, we're a big lacrosse family. I'm actually our local youth director. This was supposed to be my last year. But then they said, how about everyone just roll over to next year? Because we really didn't have a season. So I was like, okay, <laughs> sure. Um, so all of my p- kids play lacrosse. I literally just registered them, all three of them, for basketball for this winter. We're planning to have a basketball season, I think, through the Boys and Girls Club. My daughter, not pre-COVID, but you know, a COVID purchase was horses. And so she is starting to do Western gaming, like barrel racing and things like that. So that's keeping us busy. And... Um, we live on a farm and so my kids are planning to do 4-H. So uh, yes, okay. there's lots of things to do. <laughs> uh, how much, you know, you, you, you're talking about the farm. How much does the farm uh, fold into the homeschooling life and the education? Um, quite a bit. So I, like I said, our school day starts about nine. I roll my kids mm-hmm. out of bed between 7.15 and 7.30. They are up. They have morning chores they have to do in the house and outside of the house. So our farm consists of, we have what we call a fold of Scottish Highland cattle. So they feed the cattle. We have two horses. We have um, about 40 chickens. And then we have a couple geese sprinkled in there. And then we actually have, um, I've lost track of how many pigs. We have two female pigs, one male pig, and we have 13 piglets right now. So they are, they are all responsible for assisting with taking care of the animals, feeding, watering, cleaning up, all of that good stuff. All of that is supposed to be complete by 8.30 so they can come in, have breakfast, and then we start our day. In an ideal world, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> um, are, are, are the animals for uh, sale outside the house or is it for you know, consumption for the family? What, what does that look like? Uh, a little bit of both. So we raise our okay. beef for us. And then we sell a portion of it. Uh, the pigs, um, kind of the, both the same thing. Um, the chickens are all eggs. We, my kids have actually gathered together and they usually sell some of our eggs to some of our, like, I'll call them neighbors, but we live on 10 acres. So the neighbors like a half Mm -hmm. mile down the road. Um, (laughs) but my kids, they, they collect the eggs. Um, although our chickens are lazy right now because it's winter, so they're not really laying much. I actually had to buy eggs at the store today, which is depressing when you own that many chickens. <laughs> but yeah, so so we do sell some of them, but most of it is for for our own personal use. Okay, so 4-H, a little bit of entrepreneurship is flowing into the kids. That's yep. mm-hmm. what I was wondering. I was wondering if, if you were folding any of that in there. That's really cool. So question, there's a question around challenges. Um, and typically, you know, you've, you've been homeschooling for a number of years. There's a few we have a lot of people in our Facebook group and on who listen are, we call them accidental homeschoolers. You know, <laughs> they're, they're homeschooling because of COVID yeah. or, you know, they, they, they've lost their job and one of them's lost their job so they can homeschool, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, what type of challenges did you have? Maybe just two types of challenges. What challenges did you have before COVID and what type of challenges are you having since COVID and how are you managing those? I would say my biggest challenge and I spoke a little bit about this, when I first started homeschooling, and even into year three, 
is to remind myself that I don't have to stick to a schedule and we don't have to do, we don't have to do science at 9am and math by 10am. And, you know, I, that's how I started out. I started out with a schedule on the wall with times on it and thought that I was going to abide by that. And very quickly, I had to realize this is not going to work. Now it does work for some people. And I think, I think that having some sort of schedule of the day is smart so that you have something to follow to make sure that you complete everything that you're planning to complete. But having the flexibility to understand that some things may take less time and some things may take more time. So I would say that one of my challenges was being able to relax as a homeschool parent and and understand that it's okay for that to happen. I would say, oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, I agree that, that that's a challenge that I've been feeling as well with, you know, basically kindergartner is understanding the idea that, you know, I don't have to finish all this every day. Or if if she's not, you know, into it that day, we can do something else that's mm-hmm. more enriching. Yeah, just kind of coming to grips with that. We, we do an all year round homeschool and I'll even blend into the weekends to finish small, small things that we maybe we didn't finish during the week. So I'm very free floating. And I think that for me, that's given me that, you know, that space to make mistakes or space to, you know, regroup and not have to push it. And, you know, writing without tears is a lot of tears. If you're pushing <laughs> it really hard, mm-hmm. you know, that the, those type of things that I, I, I agree with you, that those are the type of things that I found, you know, just kind of relaxing and understanding it's not as critical to get every single thing done every single day, you know. I would add, so this wasn't a challenge for me, but if I can add a challenge that I've heard from other people who are new to homeschooling is the challenge of if someone is working, but you know, now they've been kind of thrown into homeschooling because they don't necessarily want to follow the zoom meetings and that sort of thing that the public school has, you know, the, the schedule, the public school has created. And I try to remind those people that feel very challenged in that way as far as how am I going to get all this done? I'm at work. When you homeschool, you have no particular schedule. For us, there's not really a clear definition between weekday and weekend. I mean, Sundays are different for us, but as far as that, there, there's no kind of line of delineation for those anymore for us. Mm-hmm. And whether it's morning time or evening time. I've met a lot of people that say that their kids do better in the afternoon. So they do other things in the morning and then they school in the afternoon because it just works for them. But I've also recently talked to people, again, being at work and how are they going to make it, you know, this happen. And when they realize, oh, I could go to work and then I could come home in the evening and not that it's fun, but I could spend two quality hours with, with my child or children doing their schoolwork with them versus trying to think I can juggle it all during the day. Like, oh, I can make that work. Or we do two days during the week and then we do the weekends, no big deal. So I kind of think that the challenge of understanding that homeschool can be possible and you don't have to follow a specific schedule to make it work for your family. You follow the schedule that works best for your family. I agree, I agree. Were you doing any co-op uh, work with other homeschoolers prior to COVID? I was not. So I will say that that last year, we actually were part of, there is, where we live, there is a school that it's actually part of the public school system, but it's, it doesn't follow 
the public school system, if you will. It's funded. Yeah, it's a parent, a parent the parent partnership. partnership. Yeah, so you're familiar yep. with it with, yeah, with Sky Valley. Yeah. And so we did Sky Valley for a little bit last year. And then honestly, or it wasn't last year, sorry, the, for our first year, I'm like trying to, mixing all the years up, our first year. And we did it for a couple months. And then I just was kind of lazy. And I was like, I don't even feel like going. We were only doing one day a week. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just doing some extra classes. I wasn't even doing core classes. I was just doing some fun stuff. And I was like, I don't even want to drive. Like it was just, but it was also when my daughter was still in preschool. So I was trying to juggle, like dropping her off at preschool and taking the kids to parent partnership. And you have to be on campus with them when they're there. And so it mm-hmm. was just too much. And I was like, forget this. Um, but then last year I said, okay, let's try it again. And my kids loved it. They were taking a ro- one of them was taking a robotics class and one was taking like a ninja warrior class. A, my daughter was taking Irish step dancing. It was really, it was really fun. And even yeah, now, our, da- our daughter's very excited about it. We just registered our oh, daughter okay. for Valley for next year. So yes, yes. She's very excited about the Irish step dancing. It is fun. <laughs> yeah. So my, so when I was talking about my daughter playing piano and my boys doing ukulele, even with COVID, I actually prefer it like this because I don't have to go anywhere, but we are doing, <laughs> I'm sorry for people that are like, I just want to get out. I'm like, I just want to stay home. Um, we, we are doing Sky Valley this year and each kid has three classes. And so my boys are doing ukulele, both of them. And then um, one is also doing a like a a young children's intro to woodworking. And then he's also doing Lego robotics. My daughter is doing Lego robotics, choir and piano. And then my older son is doing uh, a intro to, I don't know what it's called, something about building. So like he's learning what interior and exterior walls are and how to read a floor plan and blueprint and things like that. And then he's doing a, a, they call it STEAM, which is uh, like a STEM type class. And, mm-hmm. and then he's doing ukulele. So they're doing, I, I like them to do some extra fun classes. So it's not all about like core curriculum. <laughs> and yeah. then it also gives them something to do. So in amongst the chaos of the day of me trying to jump between them, I can say, go practice your ukulele or go, you know, work on your Lego robotics. And that gives them something else they can do a little bit by themselves that can, that can hold their attention for a very short amount of time. So, so when things are open again, you'll be on campus, uh, you know, probably what, two days a week or something. How is that going to change your four day a week and, and the, this carefully choreographed, are you just going to move it and not do school at all the days that you're at the parent partnership or juggle around when the classes are? So when we did parent partnership last year, I, tr- I just only let them pick classes that I, I looked at the entire schedule and I figured out which day had the most classes that I thought they would enjoy. And we only went on campus one day a week. And so that day of the week, my kids all had a, uh, a plastic bin that was filled with all of their curriculum. And whoever wasn't in a class sat with me and we worked on math or language arts. And I alternated that way. And we just didn't do science or history that day. But we did all of their other stuff um, because the way it really is amazing the way that they've set up Sky Valley, but they have this huge area, which is where the cafeteria used to be when it was run as a public school. And you can sit in there and kids and 
parents are in there and there's a kind of a toddler play area. It's very, very family friendly. And so we would just sit in there and the kids would work on their schoolwork with me, kind of alternating whomever wasn't in a class at that time. And sometimes it was nice because they were all three in class. So I could just sit and knit or read or just stare into outer space. <laughs> <laughs> Think about all the chores you have on the, yes, on the farm. Exactly. <laughs> um, how, did, were they distracted in, in the large room? This is a question that I, I've been eagerly awaiting to ask. Oh. Um, how did you accomplish the homeschooling in the large auditorium? Was it distracting? Were you able to find a quiet area? We're asking totally for us. Totally this for you. Totally for you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so they call that the, you know, gathering space and it is quite, depending on the, on the day and the time of day, it isn't actually too bad. Lunchtime is so chaotic though. And so I would really not try and do anything when a bunch of kids were in there at lunchtime. Um, because they have like a student store and, you know, kids were coming in and buying things and there's no classes during that lunch period. But other than that, it, it was okay. Most of the families in there are working with kids. And so they're trying to be conscious of what, what other people are doing as well. So it's not loud. People aren't screaming or anything like that. There are other spaces like the library is another workplace and that one is supposed to be really quiet. So some families, if they're finding like the, the gathering space is too loud, they'll go into the library and they'll work in there. And there's actually pods within the library too, where you, you can go off and, and work, but they're all really quiet places. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah I've, been, I've been very <laughs> interested in how that, how that actually happens. Cause I, I will have a younger kid. Um, the toddler area, do, were there a lot of kids in there? Did you? We're totally devolved. I know, I know. It's fine. It's fine. There were, there's a handful. And so they, yeah, you'll cut this out later. Um, they actually yeah. have, it was funny because it's like, it's surrounded by like a picket fence. Like it's like you okay. fenced your children in, like a dog run area. <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with that. Yeah. yeah. There's some hot, they have some, uh, you know, high voltage high wire there for the, yeah. but there's like toys in there. And the, then, you know, some parents would sit in there and there's tables around there. So you could sit on the outside and just watch them play in there. Um, I never sat by that area cause I don't have one that's that young, but okay. you know, there was, there was tons of stuff to play with in there. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I even my daughter, a couple of times would go in there. I'm like, you're, you need to come out. You're too old. Um, I mean, she's not that old, but like, it's really designed for younger siblings that aren't school age. So, yeah, oh, this is great. And, and we've talked about parent partnerships before. I think we'll leave all this in, you know, because people, <laughs> well, people want to know, you know, what the parent partnerships sound like. I think we're going to have a chance to interview somebody. Yeah, we're going to try to see if we um, can interview someone from, from Sky Valley. Valley. Oh, that really would be talk awesome. A lot, a lot more about it. Just to talk more about it. Cause it's a, it's a great program. And for us in this area, we don't actually have a lot of co-op offerings. So there's, I mean, yeah. there's certainly some, definitely some religious co-ops, but uh, there's not many secular co-ops because we have the parent partnership program. Yeah, yeah. It's such a big program. Yeah. I think that they just, they, they pull everyone who would create you know the co-ops so um in other areas where they don't have parent partnership programs co-ops are big but for us it kind of is our co-op right because there's not another choice yeah a little bit um, i think that the biggest difference and i and i i think that people maybe have a misconception about the parent partnership in regards to homeschool because it is funded by the public school district they do provide curriculum and i don't consider the parent partnership like homeschool. So, so I think a lot of families that go to the parent partnership they they would say they would, they're a homeschool family, <clears throat> which I would never like deny that, but 
a lot of families like exclusively use parent partnership or they do everything at Sky Valley mm. and they do, they, mm. they rely on it a lot. And so sometimes there's a little bit of confusion. Like the fact the parent partnership is the parent is supposed to still be the teacher. The partnership is that there is a teacher on campus that is showing your children information or guiding them one day or two days a week maximum but you're supposed to be doing the rest of the work. So, yeah, it's not intended to be yeah. a replacement. No, and, and, that's what, that's, and some people yeah, are confused by that. Doing, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what we're planning on doing. We have a curriculums that we've, you know, we're, right. we're going to be doing, and yeah, math and but it's science great and all for that things stuff. like choir and drama. Oh yeah. gosh, yes. Provide here. Yeah, um, we're looking at it almost for an enrichment socialization. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of the all around and yeah. And I mean, enjoyment. It, well, honestly, it's a great opportunity that our public dollars pay for, so we might yeah, as well. Ma- yes. Yeah, but to, to bring us back to homeschool a little bit, uh, one of the things we talked about when we were prepping for this interview we said, you know, I've been homeschooling for three years and now I, I just have a passion for keeping kids home and, and learning. Can, can you tell us what about homeschool in your experience is, is the thing that you really, you know, you've really fallen in love with that, that's going to carry you through the next few years and you know, when times get difficult, that the, that homeschool purpose, I guess, is, is what I mean. What, what's it that really grabs you? Like, this is what's right for us. I would say the biggest thing is being able to, this sounds so cheesy, but it's true. Allow my kids to guide me because when, when I first brought home my son, again, who's now fourth grade, I have to remember to call him fourth grade because I just say he's in level four because when you homeschool, you don't call him a grade. (laughs) (laughs) And at first I thought that was weird, but now I've fallen into it. So he's fourth, you know, fourth grade. But when I first brought him home and he was going into second grade, he was really struggling with reading. And I was so scared that I was, that I was not going to be able to bring him through that. And again, second grade, in, in my opinion, like they should not be amazing readers. But by standards of the public school system, he should have been doing better than he was. Mm-hmm. But ha- within the first, I would say, four to six months of him being home, it was amazing to see the transition. And it could have just been him maturing or you know, naturally moving into that understanding of reading. But I'd like to say it was because I brought him home and he was being homeschooled that he was doing better. But it really it was so amazing to see him gradually improve in his reading skills and not having to worry about putting him into a specialized program or him being considered behind what that standard was. And then as far as my daughter, I described the fact that it took us a year to complete her level K or her kindergarten curriculum. And that is a big driver for me because I realized that if my kids need to slow down, then I can slow down with them in the public school system, you can't do that. They have to stay with at the pace of whatever the pace has been set at. And so if your child isn't, you know, middle of the road following that pace, they either, you know, they either get left behind or maybe they get put into a specialized program or the other side of it is if they're ahead of the game, they don't really, I don't word the greatest word isn't cater, but they don't really cater to that either. So the, the child who I had that wasn't a great reader was excelling at math. And he was actually kind of bothering other kids because he would finish his math so quick. And the teacher said, he's lovely. He's a great student. He's very helpful. He's very smart with math, but 
you know, he, he bothers other kids. And I was just horrified. Oh my gosh, what? He bothers other kids. And, and then she said, well, he finishes his work and then he starts bothering other people. And my response was, oh, okay, we'll just give him some more worksheets to work on. Well, no, we can't do that because he just needs to sit and wait till we're ready to move on. What? I was like, yeah. he, he's in first he's grade. In first grade. <laughs> I mean, like, I, I, I do have this, you know, I understand there's a balance of he's in first grade, but he also needs to understand there are limits. But again, he's a first grade little boy. You just want him to right. sit. Why can't we give him more worksheets? Well, no, we just can't do that. So it's one of those things where it, unless you fit into, you know, the box of requirements or the standards that the public school system thinks that's where you should be at that time or that age, then, then it makes it really difficult. And when you are at home, if we need to slow down, we can. And if we need to speed up, we can. And, and that's what keeps me moving forward because I honestly feel like, you know, there may come a point where my kids may ask to go to public school. I'm not sure. But at this moment, I feel like they're not going to get, it sounds crazy, but they're not going to get the same education that I can provide to them. When you have a, a one to three ratio, you cannot beat that. So you, you've, you're talking a bit about the, the standards and, you know, one of our requirements here is that we do the, the assessment every year. So mm -hmm. how have you, uh, have you met the requirement and has it, has it been difficult on your children to be taken standardized tests and how have they, have they dealt with that, you know, that, uh, that pressure? So my, my kids actually haven't taken any standardized tests yet because the 10 year old would have taken them this spring and then everything got canceled. And I am, I actually, some people are, I, other homeschool families are, they don't want to do any of the testing. I actually wanted to do the testing because I wanted to see, you know, like, am I doing a good job or am I not kind of a thing? <laughs> yeah, right. I was going to either be like, you know, toot my own horn or, or, you know, just not say anything to anyone like, oh yeah, they did fine on the test. Um, well, but I felt like, he, way too to, yeah. to know how they're doing, you know, with, with someone else and yeah. in, in a different style. And, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so they haven't actually taken any of the tests yet, but it is, it is at the top of my list to have them do that when they are available. And that is also, again, the nice thing with parent and partnership is you don't have to go out and find the test because again, it's, public school funded, we can just go into Sky Valley during testing time and, and my kids are able to take the test and those are all submitted to the state for us. Um, so we got one last question before we'll close it out. It's kind of a cliche question, but is there any advice since you've been homeschooling for multiple years, both pre and during COVID? Um, you know, what is that, you know, what are some things that you wish you would have known now, you know, before that you know now? What are those, are there a couple of things that you might be able to share with some of the listeners? I feel like I was so worried about failing my kids when I started that that's why I spent so much time researching because I wanted mm -hmm. to make sure I had it right when I started. And so that would be my biggest piece of advice is you're not going to fail your kids. If you take the time to figure out their interests, if you don't already know them and you focus a lot of your time on that and not be so fearful that they're going to get behind in the end, they're going to be ahead of the game. It's amazing to watch my kids now when they are really interested in something 
how much more that they are learning and how much they're retaining. My kids will spout off things to me at random times of things that they understand about like frogs or uh, arthropods, you know, things like, and I'm like, oh, where did you learn that? They're like, you know, when we did, I'm like, okay, (laughs) I don't remember that. (laughs) So, so I think that my, my worry was that I was going to, I was going to fail my kids. I wasn't going to be able to teach them what they needed to know. And once I realized that letting them guide me and what they needed to learn and what their interests were, was where their greatest growth was going to be, then I was able to relax a little bit. I also had to remind myself that everything that we do in our daily life that most kids miss out on, that that eight-hour chunk of time that they're at school, like baking a loaf of bread, uh, which, which I do a couple of times a week, I bake bread. The simple act of my kids learning how to measure to bake the bread, they, that will carry on into their math. There are so many things that we do in our daily lives that we don't realize how much it benefits our kids. I agree. It's that confidence. It's that the maturity that, you know, I can do things. And a lot of kids don't get to experience that. I'm sure you see that on the farm where you have kids cleaning stuff or feeding animals, that there's a level of maturity there that you may not see with other kids who may only just go to school, sit in class, learn, come home, maybe play a sport, but you see more of, you're seeing more of the world. And I think there's a level of maturity there that yeah. I think you can't get in the classroom. You just can't get that in the classroom. Yeah. I agree with you. I, yeah, absolutely. We just had family visiting and they, they, they didn't even have a goldfish in their house. They're, they're anti-animal. <laughs> and so coming to, coming to our house, it's like, it's like a funny farm, but it's so funny to, funny, funny farm. It's interesting to see how those kids reacted and watching my kids go out and they're, they followed them along doing the chores, but just to see them and they, they almost to be, seem to be in a little bit of awe as far as all the things that my kids were doing. And, and as young as they are, like my 10 year old operates our tractor probably better than I do. And so it's, <laughs> it's things like that, that again, you don't get to experience every day at school, but they sure do learn a lot here. I think that's, that's really great. Thank you so much for your time tonight, Shannon. We sincerely appreciate it. And I think our listeners are going to enjoy hearing your, hearing your story. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Oh, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us today and making us a part of your homeschool journey. Please engage with us on social media. Join our Homeschool Together podcast group on Facebook and find us at Homeschool Together podcast on Instagram. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and recommendations. Until next time. Happy homeschooling!